Howdy, everyone, and thank you again for tuning in to the Jeffersonian Tradition. Before we get started, I have a couple of things to go over. I want to keep bringing y'all high-quality content, but I cannot do that without your support. So please, help buy me a cup of coffee every month and join the Ward Republic by chipping in $5 per month through the supporting listener link in the show notes page. I am not part of a fancy podcasting network, and I don't like the restrictions that come along with certain advertising campaigns. So I am coming to y'all with my hat in my hand. So please help me keep this show going and keep it independent by doing your part and chipping in. If you're not comfortable with a recurring contribution model, I do also have a Cash App profile for the show. So one-time contributions can be sent there. And all of this information is listed in the show notes page as well. And don't forget that Ward Republic membership includes a monthly video conference with myself and the other Ward Republic members. And support monetary freedom today and head over to our sponsor at www.defythegrid.com to purchase your gold bags. I have an affiliate link in the show notes page, and if you use it, I will get a 1% commission, so that'll also help keep the show going. So click on my link in that show notes page and fuel monetary decentralization today. And if you aren't on MeWe yet, then seriously, what are you waiting for? Unlike a certain other social media platform, MeWe respects the right to free speech and offers a privacy bill of rights. So if you'd like to be a member there, then download the MeWe app and search for me at the username Mr. Jeffersonian. The show group is private, so we must be contacts before I can send you the group invite. With all of that fun stuff out of the way, let's now turn our attention to the topic for today's episode. As y'all are hearing this, just know I am at the coffee stand getting my weekly cup of cold brew decaf coffee from my favorite local coffee stand. And then I'll be hitting the road to go up to South Dakota for a few days to visit family and just to make our annual summer trek up there. So what we're going to do today is wrap up our study of northern opposition to the Louisiana Purchase. Now, this document in particular is not going to talk so much about the purchase itself, What it's going to do is show the northern mindset towards southerners. And we're going to read a letter from Timothy Pickering to Rufus King. This was written on March 4th, 1804. So this is just a few months after the Louisiana Purchase had been approved. So Pickering starts off, Dear Sir, I am disgusted with the men who now rule and with their measures. At some manifestations of their malignancy, I am shocked. The cowardly wretch at their head, talking about Jefferson, while like a Parisian revolutionary monster prating about humanity, would feel an infernal pleasure in the utter destruction of his opponents. We have too long witnessed his general turpitude, his cruel removals of faithful officers, and the substitution of corruption and looseness for integrity and worth. We have now before the Senate a nomination of Meriwether Jones of Richmond, editor of The Examiner, a paper devoted to Jefferson and Jacobinism. And he is now to be rewarded. So think about what Pickering's saying there. He is saying that the Southerners are French Jacobins. So the Jacobins are the clique or the faction responsible for ushering in the reign of terror during the French Revolution. They lopped off thousands of heads. And think about what Pickering is saying here is that Jefferson and the Southerners are basically nothing more than American Jacobites and they need to be feared. The Federalists as a whole, or as a rule, I guess, would greatly fear the mob or, or just the popular common everyday folks. So that, that was one of the big main differences between the Jeffersonians and the Federalists. The Federalists thought the elites should be in control of society overall, and there should be a strict boundary between society and those who were capable of governing. Whereas the Jeffersonians said, no, every man has a right to govern for himself. Every man has a right to make his own choice. And personally, I 
do see some merit in arguments that the Federalists made. There, there does need to be a little bit more independence in government, in my opinion, but only if we have men who can be morally upright and morally sound, even in the face of popular opposition. Whereas with the Federalists, it was more, well, we know better than you, so we don't care what you have to say. And they would say this openly to their own constituents. They did not campaign. They didn't do anything like that. They simply held office. In some cases, it would be borderline hereditary, so on and so forth. And they basically said, we know better than you. We don't want any input from you, rabble, and we're just going to do what we think is best because we are the smart ones. So it's kind of funny to me that Pickering is saying this. I mean, he's writing again to Rufus King saying that Jefferson and the Southerners are a bunch of Jacobins, and they, you know, they're, they're just a mindless rabble. But this is also telling because it shows how severely out of step with the popular will that the Federalists really were. I mean, you're, the, collapse, the total implosion and collapse of the Federalist Party is only about 10 years off at this point. But even now, Jefferson and the political revolution of 1800, the Federalists have basically been swept from office. And they, their only real influence in the general government remained in the federal judiciary. And that's why John Marshall is so damaging. He was also of a mind with Timothy Pickering when it came to common people. He was very afraid of them, thought that we were going to have Southerners uh, or rabble-rousers going out into the countryside, finding these natural elites and lopping their heads off. So it's very interesting, again, because it does show just how severely out of step they were with the popular will. And Jefferson and the Jeffersonians and the everyman, for lack of a better term, they instead thought that they were actually trying to uphold the principles of the revolution, that we fought for home rule. We fought so every man could have a say. And it's, again, to me, this is fascinating. This period in American history is absolutely fascinating. But Pickering goes on. He says, Mr. Hopkins, commissioner of loans, a man of property and integrity, is to give room for this Jones. The commissioner may have at once $30,000 in his hands to pay the public creditors in Virginia. He is required by law to give bonds only in a sum from five to $10,000, and Jones's character is so notoriously bad that we have satisfactory evidence he could not now get credit at any store in Richmond for a suit of clothes. Yet I am far from thinking, if this evidence should be laid before the Senate, that his nomination will be negatived. I am therefore ready to say, come out from among them and be ye separate. Corruption is the object and instrument of the chief. And the tendency of his administration for the purpose of maintaining himself in power and the accomplishment of his infidel and visionary schemes. Oh my gosh, it's so visionary to say that the people have a right to govern themselves and that maybe we should take stock of the public opinion instead of just ruling arbitrarily. My gosh, what a visionary. The corrupt portion of the people are the agents of his misrule. Corruption is the recommendation to office and many of some pretensions to character but too feeble to resist temptation become apostates. Virtue and worth are his enemies, and therefore he would overwhelm them. The collision of Democrats in your state promises some amendment. The administration of your government cannot well be worse. And in this next part, we're going to get to where Pickering really spells out some of the fears of the Federalists. So he says, The Federalists here in general anxiously desire the election of Mr. Burr to the chair of New York, for they despair of a present ascendancy of the Federal Party. Mr. Burr alone, we think, can break your Democratic phalanx, and we anticipate much good from his success. Now, Aaron Burr was actually kind of a wild card, so he had a Western Confederacy conspiracy going on 
wherein he wanted to eventually form up some of the Western states and break them off from the Union, and he was using a lot of nefarious means to try to accomplish that. He was also kind of a turncoat. He was supposed to be Jefferson's running mate as his vice president, and then when it turned out that Jefferson and he tied, he did not want to withdraw his name from consideration for the office of president in the 1800 election. So Aaron Burr was not a very trustworthy individual, and yet the Federalist and Pickering's own words are saying, yes, we want him to be successful in his candidacy for office here. But he goes on, were New York detached, as under his administration it would be, talking about Burr again, from the Virginian influence, the whole union would be benefited. Jefferson would then be forced to observe some caution and forbearance in his measures. And if a separation should be deemed proper, the five New England states, New York and New Jersey, would naturally be united. Among those seven states, there is a sufficient congeniality of character to authorize the expectation of practicable harmony in a permanent union, New York the center. Without a separation, can those states ever rid themselves of Negro presidents and Negro congresses and regain their just weight in the political balance? And so I'm going to pause here just to let y'all reflect on how racist that is. Again, the objection to slavery in the North, for the most part, was not moral. It was strictly political because what Pickering's talking about there is the South and the Northern opinion had disproportionate representation because of the three-fifths compromise. Now, again, a lot of people in modern times will say, well, that was a terrible compromise. The South didn't even think that black people were, uh, you know, a whole human being. They counted them as three-fifths of a person. That is not the case. The South wanted full representation, but black people just were not able to vote if they were slaves. In the old South... There were periods of time where free black people were actually able to vote up until you start getting things like the Haitian Rebellion, uh, the Nat Turner Rebellion, so on and so forth. So it was the North. The North said, no, we will not give you full representation because we don't look at them as people. Even though the North had full representation for women and children who also couldn't vote, the North said, no, we're not going to give you re uh, full representation for them. We'll, we'll give you three-fifths, but that's all we're going to give you. And again, Pickering is hammering home that point when he says, without a separation, so talking about without secession in a New England or Northern-dominated confederacy, or actually a separate Northern confederacy, rather, without a separation, can those states ever rid themselves of Negro presidents and Negro congresses and regain their just weight in the political balance? So he's openly saying, look, the Northern states, we have a natural, we have an inherent right to have due influence in this union, but if we can't accomplish it in this current one, we'll just separate and form our own. And which, you know, hey, I'm all for secession. That's great. I only wish, again, as I said in our last episode, I only wish that both sections would have constantly kept this mentality and said, okay, that's it. We've had enough. It's not working. Let's go. And from here, Pickering goes on to spell out his idea of disproportionate representation because of the slaves. He says, at this moment... The slaves of the middle and southern states have 15 representatives in Congress, and they will appoint that number of electors of the next president and vice president. And the number of slaves is continually increasing. You notice this evil, but will the slave states ever renounce the advantage? As population is, in fact, no rule of taxation, the Negro representation ought to be given up. If refused, it would be a strong ground for separation, though perhaps an earlier occasion may present to declare it, and so, again, think about what Pickering is saying. He is basically saying, look, South, if you don't give up your additional representation and let us have our way by turning this thing into a national democracy where we have more votes than you, 
That's it. We're, we're taking our ball and we're going home. And this is what John C. Calhoun would say starting in the early 1830s, late 1820s. John C. Calhoun would make the exact same point when he talked about the despotism should the federal United States system be reduced to a national democracy. That is the exact same argument is that, look, one side gains power and takes over the general government and just uses that influence to oppress the other. That's the same argument that both sides would make. It's unfortunate because until you get the South actually going through with secession, neither side was actually willing to do anything to break this up. Both of them just vied for control of the center. And that's the same exact situation that we're getting in now. And that's what makes nationalist Republicans and nationalist libertarians so dangerous. They think if they can get their way via the federal judicial system, everything's going to be okay because they can check the lefty agenda. Yes, for a time you can, but just realize that strategy has already been tried multiple times in American history, and it has never ended well because guess what? You will not always control those institutions. And when that flips, that's it. And that's exactly why I preach secession for its own sake, decentralization for its own sake. It does not matter. If New York wants to have oppressive gun laws and draconian taxes, it does not matter to me because I don't live there. I am not a citizen of the state of New York. And it's time that people start taking their destinies in their own hands and moving. If you're in one of those terrible states, that is the best thing that you can do. Move. Deprive them of the tax revenue. And watch how fast maybe their tune will change. And if their tune doesn't change, then just sit back and laugh at them while they self-destruct. Because over time, they will. If it's really that bad and the people don't want to bear it. You get the government that you ultimately deserve. And that is a hard reality because not everybody's just sitting back taking this, but enough people are that as a society, we do end up eventually getting the government that we deserve. But let's get back to the letter. And in this section, Pickering's actually going to talk about Southern imperialism towards the West. He says, how many Indian wars, excited by the avidity of the Western and Southern states for Indian lands, shall we have to encounter? And who will pay the millions to support them? The Atlantic states. Gee whiz, we could say the exact same thing when John C. Calhoun started talking about how was the North going to rear its manufacturers on the backs of Southern labor and Southern wealth. Yet the first moment we ourselves need assistance and call on the Western states for taxes, they will declare off, or at any rate refuse to obey the call. Kentucky effectually resisted the collection of the excise and of the $37,000 direct tax assessed upon her so many years ago. She has paid only $4,000 and probably will never pay the residue. In the meantime, we are maintaining their representatives in Congress for governing us, who surely can much better govern ourselves. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought decentralization and self-government was just lost cause hocus pocus. But here's Timothy Pickering saying this in 1804. And again, that's what the Jeffersonians, John Taylor of Carolina, John Randolph of Roanoke, Nathaniel Macon of North Carolina, that's what they thought the revolution was all about, the right to decentralization and local self-governing communities. And again, Pickering, a Northerner, a Federalist, and a high one at that, a high Federalist, is saying the exact same thing in 1804 because his section is no longer in control of the machinery. And he goes on, Whenever the Western states detach themselves, they will take Louisiana with them. In 30 years, the white population on the Western waters will equal that of the 13 states when they declared themselves independent of Great Britain. On the census of 1790, Kentucky was entitled to two representatives. But under that of 1800s, she sends six. 
P.S. I do not know one reflecting non-Anglican who is not anxious for the great event at which I have glanced. They fear, they dread the effects of the corruption so rapidly extended, and that if a decisive step be long delayed, it will be in vain to attempt it. If there be no improper delay, we have not any doubt but that the great measure may be taken without the smallest hazard to private property or the public funds, the revenues of the northern states being equal to their portion of the public debt, leaving that for Louisiana on those who incurred it. Believe me, ever faithfully yours, Timothy Pickering. And so think about that last sentence. He's saying, look, the North will take our just portion of the debt, but we're going to leave the debt and the burden for Louisiana to those people who wanted it. And it's all about numbers. And he realizes that. That's exactly what he's saying. King Numbers, John Randolph of Roanoke would make a speech on King Numbers in 1829 at the Virginia State Constitution Convention. But that's exactly what Pickering's saying is, look, the Southerners are going to be the seed corn of the Western Territory. And this agrarian alliance, this this great agrarian national republic, they will crush New England commercial endeavors, as we progressed a little bit more and New England started developing manufacturing, they would be afraid of their manufacturers being devastated. So again, this is the exact same position that the South would take roughly 25 years later, give or take. So keep this in mind. The next time you hear somebody talk about how the South was nothing but a bunch of backwards hillbilly traders, Bring this up. Ask them what they think about Timothy Pickering saying this in 1804, and especially his reasons for it. Taxation with unjust representation for the slave power, as it would come to be called. And think about, and bring this up too, and think about how racist Pickering is being here when he says, how will we ever rid ourselves of Negro presidents and Negro congresses if we don't get rid of the South? If we don't separate ourselves, how will we ever get rid of the Negro influence? It was not yet called the slave power. That would come around, I think, in the 1820s or so. But bring all this stuff up. Call them out on their hypocrisy because they have no idea what they're talking about and what it means to be a Jeffersonian or an American conservative, whatever you want to call yourself, is to be a states' right man or a states' right woman. It's all about local self-government and the right to self-determination and decentralization. And thank you all again for your time and for tuning in. Please remember, we are expecting Little Miss Jeffersonian to come kicking and screaming into the world later this year. So if y'all want to help us out with any of the expenses we expect with her, I have a link for a registry in the show notes page. Or if you would like, please consider becoming a contributing member so we can defray some of the diaper expenses. I call it helping me establish my diaper fund. And don't forget to help fuel the Jeffersonian revolution by using the link in the show notes page to purchase your goldbacks today. And all right, with another episode in the books, thank you again for tuning in, and I will talk to you all next time.